0: We'll do a quick recap of the first two verses, and then inshallah we will continue. Surah Al-Nisa is a Makki surah or a Madni surah? madani What does that mean? It was revealed in the city of Medina? No, it was revealed after the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina. What's another name of Surah Al-Nisa? Surah Al-Adl Wal Rahma of justice and mercy. Why? Why is it called the Surah of Justice and Mercy? Because this surah tells us about The rights of who? Those who are deprived. And who are those who are deprived? What are some kinds of people who are deprived in the society of their rights? Women and orphans. So in this surah, there are many commands related to the rights of orphans as well as the rights of women. When can a person acknowledge that the fact that he has to give the rights to those who are oppressed? Because many people disregard the weak. That what are they going to do? For example, if it's a woman, what can she do with money? Ignore her. What is she going to say? What power does she have? When can a person acknowledge another being, his existence or her existence, their rights, their feelings, and as a result, give them what they deserve? When can a person do that? When they have taqwa, and when they realize that just like I'm a human being, they're also a human being just like i want to be respected they want to be respected too just like i want that my rights are given to me they want that their rights are given to them as well and this is the reason why the surah begins with what ya ayyuhannas ittaqurabbakum o mankind o people fear your lord alladhi khalaqakum min nafsi wahida the one who created you from one soul meaning all of you regardless of your gender regardless of your social status you all come from who one man, Adam alayhi salam, You are all brothers and sisters. You are all human beings. وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا zawjaha. And if you look down on women, why do you look down on women? If you think about it, hawa came from who? Adam alayhi salam. مِنْ بعض. You are one of another, meaning you are from one another. وَبَثَّ مِنْهُمَا رِجَالًا كَثِيرًا وَنِسَاءً And from them too he spread out many men and many women. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ And fear Allah الَّذِي تَسَاءَلُونَ بِهِ By whose name you're always demanding your rights. By whose name you're always asking each other for what you deserve. So you remember Allah when you want something. But do you remember Allah when you have to give something to someone? Many times it happens, Right? That when it comes to our rights, then we start telling people, fear Allah. And we think about how Allah will question that person and punish them. But when it comes to our duties, our obligations, the rights of others that we have to give, where does the fear of Allah go? So fear Allah by whose name you demand from one another your rights. Wal arham and the wombs, meaning fear Allah concerning the relationships. Inna Allah kana alaykum raqiba, and remember that Allah is always watching you. He's watching you just like someone has their eyes fixed on another person's neck. So he is watching you wherever you go, whatever you do, he knows. The first command that Allah gives with regards to the rights of people, Give to the orphans their properties. Meaning the properties that the orphans have inherited from their parents, from their relatives, then that property should be given to them. And an orphan is who? A 20-year-old man whose father has passed away? Is that an orphan? Who is an orphan? A child who has not yet reached the age of puberty and their father has passed away. Alright? And the thing is that a child inherits from who? Their father. He also inherits from the mother definitely, but the father's property is typically more than that of the mother. Alright? So this is why it's necessary that to the yatama. To the orphans, their property is given to them. And do not exchange your impure for their pure. Meaning you give them your bad wealth, and in return you take their good wealth. Because when an orphan moves in with someone, he will come with his belongings. And eventually those belongings might get mixed up. Or what does an orphan know? That this part of the garden is mine, and this part of the garden is my uncle's. The orphan doesn't know. But if the uncle says, yeah, this part of the garden that belongs to the orphan has better trees, okay, is more productive. So I'll keep this one and I'll give him my bad part. Allah says, do not do that. Because you see, an orphan does not know what's going on because of his young age. Alright? And he can be easily deceived. You know how many women they say that our husbands just tell us sign here and sign there and sign here and we have no idea. Okay? And many times it happens that a woman does not even know and her husband sells the house or gets another mortgage or gets a loan or makes a very bad financial decision and the wife had no idea, she just goes and signs over there and then later she has to suffer the consequences. So imagine, this is a woman who can read, who can understand. But even she gets deceived easily. But what about a young child who has not even yet reached the age of puberty? He can be easily deceived so this is why one has to fear Allah concerning the rights of the orphans. وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ And do not consume their wealth to your wealth. Meaning don't mix it up in such a way that their wealth becomes your wealth and at the end the orphan is left with nothing. If you do that, إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُبًا كَبِيرًا Indeed it is a really bad sin. What kind of a sin is hub? With regards to family matters. Against relatives, right? whether they are immediate family or distant relatives. So this is a great sin, kana huban Kabira. Then Allah says wa in and if you fear Allah that you will not be able to maintain justice with the orphans. The previous ayah was about the property of the orphans that give them their property. This ayah is about the orphans themselves their lives. That first of all, you have to safeguard the property of the orphan. And secondly, you have to look after the well-being of the orphan as well. That their life is not wasted. Their lives are not ruined. Because an orphan doesn't just come with property, with money. He doesn't just have money. He has a life that he has to live, right? That she has to live. So you have to look after their well-being as well. And one of the major things that happens in life is what? Marriage. Isn't it so? Marriage is something that is very, very major. It really affects a person. So, this ayah is concerning the marriage of who? Of orphans. In particular, orphan girls. Because boys, they can survive. But girls are more vulnerable. Aren't they? Aren't they? A boy, he decides whom he wants to get married to, when, where he wants to live. But a girl if she's given off in marriage to someone, does she have any control over her situation? She doesn't. And especially a little girl whose father is not there, whose parents are not there, to make the best decision for her, then who is going to defend her? Who is going to fight for her? So this ayah is about what? The marriage of orphan girls. So Allah says that if you fear, أَلَّا تُقْسِطُوا تُقْسِطُوا from the root letters Qāf, سِيمْ طَى From the word qist. And qist means justice, fairness. So you fear that you will not be able to maintain justice with who? With the yatama. And yatama, plural of yatim, in particular, this is referring to the yatama nisa, female orphans, meaning orphan girls. Eventually they're going to grow up, eventually they have to be married. So if you fear that when you will marry an orphan girl, okay, and you will not be able to maintain justice with her, then what should you do? Don't marry the orphan girl. Instead, فَنْكِحُولُ Then go and marry from Nikah نُونْ كافحا, Who should you marry? لَكُمْ من النساء. Those women that مَا لكم, That you like. طَابَ is from طَيَابَ طِيب طِيبَ To like something. So go ahead and marry those women whom you like. Now, what is this justice with the orphan girls that has to be maintained? And a person fears that if he will marry an orphan girl, he will not be able to maintain that justice. What is this referring to? Now, it was very common amongst the Arabs that if a man became the guardian of some orphan girls that were obviously his relatives, okay? Like for example, his cousins. Let's say his uncle died, he left behind two daughters they've got no other relatives, or because he is the closest to them in relationship, he would become their guardian. All right. So when they would become guardians of orphan girls who were their relatives, what would they do? They would simply just marry them. Okay. I'm not saying that she had to be two years old or four years old. I mean, eventually when she was of a marriageable age, in many societies you will see that even though a girl is not of marriageable age, still she's given off in marriage. Right? So they would simply marry her. Why would they marry her? Not because they liked her, you know, she was compatible with them in age or in mental level, or, you know, in her nature, or they liked one another. No, not because of this reason. Simply because she had inherited some property from her father. In Sahih Bukhari, we learn that an orphan girl was married to simply because she owned a date palm. And the man, he wanted that date palm. So he would say, if I marry her, I can take that date palm. But if she marries someone else, then the date palm will be her husband, will have a share of that. So you know what? I'm not going to let her marry anybody else. I'm going to marry her so that I can get this date palm. So if you marry someone just because they own a date palm, really, can you love them? Can you be fair with them? Can you take care of them? No way. Can you show love to them? Anything. Will this be a healthy relationship between a husband and a wife? Not at all. Not at all. And sometimes, the man himself would not like the girl or would not like the woman. The only reason why he would marry her, oh, you know what? She's got this garden, she's got this house, it can become mine. That's the only reason. And also, he would think that if I go and marry someone else, I would have to give her mahar. I would have to give her a bridal gift, which would be a lot because her father is alive, her brother is there. They're going to demand that a lot of mahar be given. But this orphan girl, her father is not there. I am her guardian. So who's going to tell me to give her mahar? I won't have to give her any mahar. So they would basically give her very little mahar or no mahar at all. And sometimes the girl even did not want to marry, but they would force her into that marriage. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah guiding His servants that when you fear that you will not be able to maintain justice with the orphan girls, then don't marry them. Don't marry them and make their lives miserable and incur sin upon yourself. Don't do that. Instead, go and marry someone else. And who should you marry? مَا nisa, Those women whom you like. Marry a woman whom you like. And why marry a woman whom you like? Ma over here. Remember that the word ma, when it's used for living beings, it refers to the description of that individual. So the description of the individual is what? That you like them. Why do you like them? Why should you marry someone whom you like? Because only then can you be fair with them. Only then can you give them the mahal that they deserve. Only then will you seek them, will you want them. And when you want something then you are sincere and you are fair and you strive for it. An orphan girl, who's gonna tell you to give her mahr? Nobody. Who's gonna fight for her? No one at all. But if there's a woman whom you like, whom you want to marry, and she's got a father, then he's gonna say, you better look after her. You better give her a decent mahr. You better take care of her. So you will be more fair. So فَنْكِحُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ Because the thing is that Marrying the orphan girls was very convenient. Okay? But it would mean being unfair with the girl. And secondly, forcing oneself to do something that a person does not want from the heart. He's getting married to her just for money, not because he likes her. And the thing is that forcing yourself to do something, even if you know that you're going to get some benefit out of it, is like eating something that you don't want. It's like eating... Food that you do not like. And when you force yourself to eat something that you do not like, then what's going to happen? Your body is going to refuse it. Doesn't it happen that people eat something that they don't like and they end up throwing up? Isn't it so? My little girl, she does not like lentils at all. And if through some trick or something, I will just manage to put a little bit into her mouth, immediately she will spit it out she will spit it out immediately. She just cannot keep it in her mouth even. She cannot even swallow it. She just can't. And think about it. If it's forced, then what's going to happen? She can throw up. Correct? So this is what happens. That when you do not like something and you force yourself to do it, even though it may be very beneficial for you, what's going to happen? It's actually going to harm you. So likewise, if you marry someone whom you do not like, even in the case of the man, you're going to harm yourself. You're harming the girl, but you're going to harm yourself too. You're going to incur sin. You're going to make your life miserable. The Prophet ﷺ said, a woman is married for four reasons. For her wealth, for her lineage, for her beauty, for her deen. So these four things, these four factors, what are they? Things that are a cause of attraction. So there has to be some element of attraction between the husband and wife. So Allah says, go ahead and marry the woman whom you like. And, Marry how many? You can marry mathna wa thulatha Okay? mathna in twos, thulatha in threes, ruba in fours. Please everybody give me a big smile. Because this ayah is like, oh my god. So just relax. Okay? Relax. Chill. Anyways, mathna, ethnain, ethnain. It's from the word ethnain, two. And mathna wa Thalathan, thalathan, in threes رُبَع meaning in fours meaning some of you will go ahead and marry two women others will go ahead and marry three women and others will go ahead and marry four women more than four? not allowed now the Arabs they would marry many women okay now imagine a person has a wife and then he becomes a guardian of an orphan girl so he marries her too and then he becomes a guardian of another two orphan girls. So he marries them two. Now he has got four. There is a cousin of his. He liked her. There is a you know, a good friend of his. So his sister or his daughter. Some men would actually have ten wives. Okay, ten wives. And we learn that it's reported in Musnad Ahmad that a man, Ghilan bin Salama al thaqafi this person had ten wives when he became Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, Choose any four of them and divorce the rest. You can only keep four wives, not more than four wives. Why? Because if a person has a need to marry more than one, then he cannot maintain justice between more than four. He can marry up to four, but more than four maintaining justice is impossible. And by the way, having multiple wives, is this something really strange today? Really? With the concept of sister wives? Ahem, ahem. You know what I'm talking about? You have no idea? You don't watch TV? Really? This is something that's common, not just in Arabia. This is something that happened not just 1400 years ago, but this is something that happens today. This is something that's not just practiced by Muslims, okay? but this is something that's practiced by people of other faith as well. Alright? For example, who? Even Christians. Different faiths, right? People practice them. And these days, people are so happy and confident about the decision that they've made that they have no problem coming on television. That the husband is sitting in the middle and two wives on one side and two wives on the other side. And it's as though they're best friends. They have no problem. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google. Sister wives. Anyways, I don't want to go into details. But the point over here is... That over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving an allowance. This is something, having multiple wives, is something that has happened throughout history, in various cultures across the globe, in different societies. This is something that has happened. And when it has happened throughout history, it means that this is something that's kind of normal. When it has happened throughout different cultures, different countries, different societies, this means that there may be a situation where there is a need to have multiple wives. Or some people may be very comfortable with it. Others are shocked at the thought of it, at the idea of it. They are repulsed. But others, they have no problem whatsoever. She's giving an example of how she watched a documentary once and in that there was a man who had 31 wives. Now this is something that's not allowed in Islam. Because maintaining justice between 31 wives is impossible. Impossible. It's really not possible that a person can maintain justice between 31 wives. And the reporter asked this man that how do you manage them? And he asked him, the reporter, that how many wives do you have? You've got only one. So this man with 31 wives burst out laughing. That he couldn't even comprehend the idea of having only one wife. So anyways, it was so normal for him. Likewise, it is very normal for many people. So the point is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given an allowance where there is a need, okay? Where people feel that this will make their life better, this will make their situation better, this will help them in the way they live. So this is an allowance that is being given. And four is the limit four is the maximum not more than four because maintaining justice between four is not humanly possible now what are some of the reasons why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would even allow this for example a man gets married okay him and his wife they love one another very good relationship a healthy relationship and he wants kids but she cannot have them so if he wants children of his own then why should he be deprived especially when he can have. Now, at the same time, he likes her, she likes him, they're living a perfectly normal life, they don't want to be apart from one another. So should he have to divorce her to marry someone else? So that he can have kids? No, it doesn't seem fair. So in that situation, if he wishes to marry someone, why not? Does he not have the right to have kids? He does. Now, you can say that, oh, he should go and adopt someone. But it's a different thing, right? It's a different feeling when you know that this child is mine, my progeny, my descendant, my son, my daughter. It's a different feeling altogether. So people live different lives, their situations are different, and they may be in that situation where they need more than one wife. So the allowance has been given. And the maximum limit is four. Then Allah says, فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ but then, if you fear, Allah ta'dilu, that you will not do adl, ta'dilu from Ainda you fear that you will not maintain adl between who? Between more than one wife. That if you have two wives, you cannot be fair with them. Or if you have three wives, you cannot be fair with them. You have four wives, you cannot be fair with them. These days, a person cannot maintain justice between his work and his wife. Isn't it? Isn't it so? That the wife says, You know, I'm jealous of your boss or your work or that I don't like the idea that you're gone for so long. And he's constantly juggling. So if he goes on marrying two wives, or three wives, or four wives, and he fears that he cannot maintain justice, his situation is such, or he feels that he's weak, he's not that strong, he doesn't have that good management skills, or organizational skills, then what should he do? Allah says, فَوَاحِدَةً Then only one. Limit yourself to one wife. Don't go ahead and marry more. أو مَا malakat aymanukum or that which your right hands possess ayman is a plural of yameen yameen is right hand now in arabia slavery also existed and it was something that was very common you could say that half of the population was perhaps of slaves okay and these slaves they had been brought from where all over the world all right they were slaves in makkah that had come from rome that had come from rome all right Likewise, there were slaves in Medina that had come from Persia, Salman Farsi. He was originally from Persia and he ended up in Medina. Now, a person who does not have any family, if all of a sudden Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the command that free your slaves, you're not allowed to keep your slaves, then what would happen? Those slaves would not know where to go. Alright? They would not have any family they were basically very much integrated in the society. Now, this is a completely different topic. When we think about slavery, we're like, why is this even allowed in Islam? There are many reasons, there's a whole history behind it, and we see that in our deen, many sins that are committed by a person, their compensation is what? Their compensation is freeing a slave. Freeing a slave. There's so much reward for freeing slaves. And this is why we see that so many companions, we learn about them, that they would free slaves so regularly. This was something that was very common amongst the Sahaba. So anyway, slavery is something that was practiced. And in our deen, we see that many rights were given to the slaves. Like for example, if a slave wanted to buy his freedom, Alright? If a slave wanted to buy his freedom, then he should be allowed, he should be helped in fact. Like Salman Farisi, he wanted to buy his freedom from his master. So what happened? All of the companions, even the Prophet ﷺ helped him. How? The payment was basically that Salman Farisi had to grow a certain number of date palms. So all the companions, they got together and they helped him. Alright? And when a person is a slave, he has to pray. Salah. Alright, and we see that so much emphasis the Prophet laid in the khutbah of Hajjatul al Wadar even on the rights of slaves. So this is a completely different discussion, but with the knowledge, with the awareness that slavery did exist, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Awama Malakat that benefit from that which your right hands possess meaning benefit from the slaves that you own. Right hands possess refers to your ownership, meaning the slaves that you own. So basically what is being said is that if you have one wife, all right, and you want another wife, you need another wife for whatever reason, okay? You want another wife, but you fear that you cannot maintain justice. You can barely keep her happy. How can you keep another wife happy? Because the rights of a wife are many. Correct? They're many. And a person is responsible, he's been made qawwam, he is responsible for maintaining her, for looking after her and everything. So if he fears that if he marries more than one, he cannot maintain justice, but at the same time he needs another wife, his wife for whatever reason is not able to fulfill his rights, okay? then Allah says, go ahead and benefit from the slaves that you own. Which slaves are these? It refers to the slave women. Remember that when a person owns a slave woman, That slave woman is his. She cannot be shared by any other man. Alright? And that slave woman is like, you can say a servant, in the sense that she will serve him, she will obey him, but a man is also allowed to have relations with the slave woman. But remember that she is only his, not to be shared by anyone else. Alright? She is not to be shared by anyone else. And the scholars have said, that the relationship between a master and a slave woman is in fact stronger than the relationship between a husband and a wife. Okay? Why? Because a wife, she has her rights and she can demand and she can uh, take khular and she can walk away. A man can just pronounce one word and divorce her and everything's finished, right? But the slave woman and the master, he owns her there is a much stronger bond over here. She obeys him. She listens to him. And it doesn't mean that he does not take care of her, he does not provide for her. No, he has to. He has to. And he has to be very gentle, very lenient with her, very good with her in every possible way. And the rights of slaves, another discussion completely. But please, don't go online and Google rights of slaves in Islam. Because if you refer to Sheikh Google, I'm sorry, you're going to be in a lot of problem. So anyway... مَلَكَتْ Benefit from the slave women that you own. That is closer, from the no, that, is closer, that is closer. That you will not, You will not incline to injustice. Ta'ulu is from عَيْن Lam, ala yaulu Is to incline to one side. To lean towards one side. Why? For personal benefit, for personal enjoyment. Like for example, a person has two things he has to manage. And he has to maintain justice. So he has to remain in the middle and he has to remain straight. But if he inclines to one side, okay, because he finds it more convenient or he enjoys more, then this is what? This is injustice because when he will lean on to one side, he will deprive the other. For example, if a person is working two jobs, okay, And one job he really enjoys. He likes it. He has fun over there. So what does he do? He spends more time doing that. He spends more time in that workplace, doing that work. And as a result, he will neglect the other. You understand? So likewise, if a person has more than one wife, okay, he has more than one wife, then there is a chance that he will be Unfair. Because one of them, she cooks better, she takes care of him more, she is more respectful, there's more compatibility between the two of them. And the other one, she's also good, everything, but he doesn't feel that close with her. So as a result, what will happen? He will incline more towards one. So Allah says, That if you marry only one wife, that is closer that you won't be unfair. That is closer to justice. That is closer to what? Justice. Another interpretation of this verse is that marrying two, three, four women, how many ever, but only four, but the women whom you like, as was mentioned, is more closer to justice, it will help you be more just compared to marrying an orphan girl. If you marry an orphan girl, it's very much possible that you will be unfair. But if you marry even two, three, four wives, but you like all of them, then you will be more fair with them. So ذَلِكَ adna أَنْ And if a person has more than one wife, and he's not fair with them, is this a problem? It's a problem. In the sense that he will live a difficult life. Okay? And secondly, this is something that is very serious On the Day of Judgment, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever has two wives and inclines towards one of them over the other, he deprives one, he's not fair with her, then he will come on the Day of Judgment and one side of his body will be slanted. What does it mean by slanted? That it's like paralyzed, that it will be falling. That he will be slanted, like he won't be able to carry one side of his body at all. And everyone will see him. So this is something serious. A lot of us talk about, oh, you know, why is this allowed? Uh, Why is this permission given? But remember that every allowance, every permission comes with responsibility and accountability. Yeah, there are different benefits, you know, people have said behind this allowance, like some have said that the population of women is more than that of men. But even if you ignore that, If a person is in a situation where he needs more than one wife, then that allowance has been given. So what are some of the lessons and benefits that we see in this ayah? First of all, the obligation of being careful when a person has this fear of falling into sin. When a person is afraid that if I do this, I will end up making a mistake, I will end up committing sin, then what should he do? He should be careful and he should stay away from that situation. If a person feels that they will be working in a place, studying in a place, going to a place where their salah will be compromised, their haya will be affected, then they're responsible. They're supposed to stay away. When it comes to this allowance of marrying more than one wife, then can a girl have more than one husband? And why not? Those of you who are married, I'm asking you, you have only one husband, right? Do you feel that you're able to really satisfy him and please him and make him happy every single day? Tell me, are you able to? You're not. You prepare the best food and then what happens? You're so exhausted. Or you go straighten your hair and dress up and everything and clean the house and you're know you all ready to spend time with him and then he's like, I'm hungry. I'm like, I can't do everything. And then, you know, you cook food, you look after him, and you dress yourself up and everything. And he's like, why are the kids so cranky today? Like seriously? You know, that shirt of mine, you still haven't ironed it? You still haven't folded this laundry? It's not possible for a woman to please her husband that is only one, 100%. It's not possible for her. It's impossible for a woman to please more than one husband. It's impossible physically, emotionally, biologically, in different ways. It is impossible. And there are certain societies where this is practiced, like Tibet. Okay, this is practiced, that a woman may have multiple husbands, but they don't live with her. And if you don't live with your spouse, that's not a marriage, really. If you don't live with your spouse, then what kind of a marriage is that? When a man has multiple wives, like we see that the Prophet ﷺ, what was his sunnah, what was his way? That during the day, he would visit every single one of them. Every single one of them. He would go and spend time with her. And then the night would be spent with whose ever turn it was. And sometimes even during the night, he would go and visit them. Like it was part of his regular routine to visit all of his wives. Now a man can do that, but a woman who has two infants? Like Really? Is it possible for her to go and spend time with one man after the other? Come on, it's ridiculous. You cannot even imagine this. Alright? Another lesson that we learn in this verse is about the fact that a person should marry the one whom he likes or she likes. A person should not be forced into marrying someone whom they do not like. Now this does not mean that you have such a high standard that I have to marry, like a man says, I need a hurr you know, she has to be beautiful, she has to be very loving, she has to be perfect in this way, in that way, then I'm sorry, you're not going to find a perfect wife. Likewise, my dear sisters, don't expect, you know, heroes. Okay? Men are men. They're imperfect just as you are imperfect. There are things that you have to compromise on. But think about the fact that, okay, I think I can live with this guy. I think we are compatible. So then go ahead with it. After istikhara, after praying to Allah, go ahead with it. But remember that there has to be some element of attraction. You have to like that person, whether it is for their knowledge, or it is for their deen, or it is for their looks, their akhlaq their family. There has to be something that will be a cause of attraction. Because husband and wife must love one another. In the hadith we learned the best thing that could happen between two individuals who love each other, a man and a woman, is what? Marriage. Nikah, that's the best thing that can happen. Another important thing we learn here is about the permissibility of marrying more than one wife, but less than four at a time when there is a need. And this is an allowance. Remember, it's not a must. It's not mandatory. So relax. It's an allowance for those who need it. النساء, and give to the women صدقاتهن, Their bridal gifts. صَدُقَات is the plural of Saduqa from صَدْ sidq also from the same root what does that mean sidth truthfulness sadqah is the gift that the husband gives to the wife sadqah is what the gift that the husband gives to the wife at the time of marriage and this gift is called sadqah why because it shows his sidq it shows his truthfulness his sincerity in wanting her. That he means that he wants her as his wife. Because he's actually giving her a gift. You know, when someone gives you a gift, it proves the love that they have for you. Right? It proves their commitment. So likewise, the husband, he is proving his commitment to that relationship, commitment to his responsibility of looking after the wife and her needs. So Allah says give to the women at the time of their marriage what saduqatuhunna but how should you give it to them nihlatan from noon halam nihla is a gift that is given happily so give them this as a gift and give it happily don't give it grudgingly that oh such a big burden now i have to give her mahar hmm? not with dislike that, oh, she's so expensive. No, not at all. You have to give her a gift happily, you know, graciously, in a good way, without expecting anything in return. So the man should not say, by the way, when we got married, I gave you $10,000. I gave you $20,000, and you can't even iron a shirt for me? Like, seriously? This is not nihlatan. That he keeps reminding her for the rest of her life, I gave you this much money, I gave you this much gold, I gave you this and this and this when we got married. So you better do this, you better do this, you better do this. This is not nihla. Nihla is a gift that is given happily. Okay? And you don't expect anything in return. Now what's the translation? I have a question for you. What's the translation for saduqah? How would you translate that in English? What's the word that you will use for saduqah? For mahar? Huh? No, not صَدَقَة No, I'm talking about صَدُقَة The مَهْر Dowry, no Dowry is the property or money That is brought by a woman To her husband upon marriage Dowry is the money or the property The linens and the bed and the furniture And the refrigerator and the deep freezer And all of that stuff That the woman brings to the husband At the time of marriage This is not mahar. Any other translation that you can think of? Any other word in English that you can think of? Yes? Bride price. Okay. Bride price, also called bride token or bride wealth, is an amount, a token or property that is given by the groom to the wife's family. It is given to the wife's family at the time of marriage. So for example, the man says, I have this land... And Mr. So-and-so, please take this land for me and give me your daughter. So it's like he's purchasing the daughter from the father. This is what bride price is. Is this mahr? No. Any other word you can think of? Yes? Okay, dower is also another word that's used for mahar, But it's not dower either. Dower is a widow's share for life of her husband's estate if she survives him. That if the husband dies then whatever she gets from his money, okay, that is dower. The fact is that there is no English word, there is no word in English that gives the concept of mahar. Why? Because this is a concept that exists only in Islam. It doesn't exist in other cultures. This is a concept that exists only in Islam. That when a man gets married to a woman, then he has to give her something. Not her father, not her brother. She's not supposed to give him anything. He is supposed to give something to her. Why? As a gesture of his commitment, of his truthfulness in wanting her, in seeking her, in being committed to her that I mean to be your husband. I mean to be responsible for you. I am going to spend on you. I am going to take care of you. I want you. This is what the saduqah means. This is what mahr means. And there are women who complain in Islam there are no rights for women. Seriously. al nihlatan. Give to the women their mahr happily. لكم, then if they like for you, طيبنا, from Twayaba, same word, that the women like for you and from something, minhu of it, of what? Of the mahr. Meaning the husband gives, let's say, 20,000 to the wife at the time of marriage as her mahar, And then she says that, I know that you need a car, or that you need to upgrade your car. So how about I give you 10,000 from the mahr that you gave me? So she is giving something of her mahab to him. To him. And how is she giving it? Nafsan. Nafsan meaning of themselves. This is the decision that they make themselves. It's not forced on them. That the wife is forced by the husband. That okay, in the masjid I gave you this money, give it back to me right now. (laughs) Give it, give it, give it. He cannot do that. Or that the father-in-law or the mother-in-law or the sister-in-law or the brother-in-law or the father of the girl or the brother of the girl, they say that, look, we let you get married to him. Now give us a share of this mahar. No. Or give him something. Give it back to him. It doesn't look nice. You're going to keep all that 20,000 yourself? How shameful. Give him something back. She should not be forced into it. If she wishes to give it herself, then Allah says, فَكُلُوهُ hani أَمَّ Fakuluhu. Eat it, meaning take it. How? Haniam Maria, She's giving it herself, take it in satisfaction and in ease. Hanian from Hanun Hamza Hana is when someone consumes something, eats something, and while he's eating it, while he is consuming it, he's enjoying it. He likes it. So for example, you're eating some food and you know you're really enjoying every morsel, every bite, every sip, you're really enjoying it. This is hani'an. And Maria from me, Hamza, this is when something is good in its outcome, so after eating, you know, your tummy's not hurting, you're not bloated, you don't have diarrhea, you're perfectly fine. so like at the time of consumption, you're happy, and after consumption, you don't suffer at all. so when they give you something, take it happily, and later for the rest of your life, don't feel guilty. you understand don't feel guilty, Kuluhu Hani Maria. So what do we learn in this ayah about the obligation upon men to give mahr to who? To their wives. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a command, to. How much mahr should be given? 22 rupees. As it is, yeah, is it? How much is it? 32, yeah. In Pakistani culture, apparently 32 rupees is the mahr that a man has to give to a wife. And how much is 32 rupees? Not even a dollar. Yeah. Seriously. Because I said this is a shari mahr. Whatever a person is able to, whatever he is able to, whatever his financial position allows. And basically, remember the term ma'roof? What is acceptable? Culturally, you know, people are not shocked that, oh my God, he gave only $50? Like seriously, what kind of mahar is that? It should not be shocking. Something that is culturally acceptable. Likewise, if a person says, $100,000 where he doesn't even own a car, where he still has his uh, tuition from university to pay off, does it make sense to give $100,000? No, it doesn't. So how much should a person give? Whatever he is able to, whatever his financial position allows, whatever is culturally acceptable. Alright? And the wife has to agree to the mahar. And the wali also, the guardian of the girl, he also has to agree. In the sense that if the husband says, I'm giving her a hundred dollars, because that's all really that I can afford. And he means it. That's all he can afford. Exactly. It can be in the form of jewelry, it can be in the form of property, it can be in the form of cash, different forms. So if the girl says, okay, I'm fine with it. And the wali says, yeah. I think even I'm okay with it because a girl just wants to get married to him so she doesn't care if it's a hundred dollars or what. She's just desperate to get married. So she's going to be making a very foolish decision. So the wali has to agree too. Alright? So as long as it's agreed upon, it is good. But there is no limit. In the Quran, Allah says that even if you've given a qintar, then do not take it back. What is qintar? Heaps of gold. Right? There has to be agreement okay there has to be agreement what kind of mahar should the husband give to the wife whatever he can afford whatever is culturally acceptable whatever his financial position allows him to and whatever the wife agrees to whatever she is happy with now remember that mahar can be something tangible and it can also be something intangible meaning it can be something physical all right and it can also be something that's not really physical Physical, like money, property, jewelry, house. These are all what? Different forms of mahr. You know, a girl might say that, I want a laptop. Okay, so that's what he gets for her. Or she says that, I want a phone. So that's what he gets for her. So that can be mahr, if she's okay with that. Alright? But, if that's not possible, meaning the man cannot afford to give, he is not able to give anything physical, anything tangible, then can he give her something that's intangible? Yes, he can. For example, once there was a man, and he requested to the Prophet ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ should marry a particular woman to him. And the Prophet ﷺ asked him that, okay, what do you have? Meaning, what can you give her? He said, I've got nothing. I'm poor, I'm a faqeer, I really have nothing. Prophet said that, no, you have to find something. This is a hadith that's reported in Bukhari. And the Prophet ﷺ told him, go to your family and see what you find. Go home, find something at least. And even if you can find an iron ring, Okay, meaning a ring that's not made of any precious metal, it's made from iron. Even if you can find that, you know something like a keychain ring basically, this is what you're talking about. Or a ring that you can get from the dollar store, this is what you're talking about. So the Prophet ﷺ said, get anything. The man went, he came back, he said, I found nothing. I really have nothing to give. But he wanted to get married and he was asking the Prophet ﷺ, please get me married to this woman. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, you know, not acceptable, you have to give something. So that man said, I have an izar. What is an izar? A lower garment. Meaning this is all that I own, my clothes. The Prophet wasallam said that no. I mean, if you wear it, she can't have it. And if she has it, then what are you going to wear? So this is no mahar. You know, the mahar that you give to the woman, it belongs to her. So you can't say, okay, I give her my pants. But then you're the one who's wearing those pants. What good are those pants to her? They don't benefit her. Alright? So then the man just sat down. And he was just sitting and sitting. And then he was leaving. He got up to leave. When he found no hope, nothing happened. Then the Prophet ﷺ called him. And he said, how much of the Qur'an do you know? He said, I know this surah, I know this surah, I know this surah. Like he started listing the number of surahs that he knew. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, "That will you teach her? He said, yes, I can teach her all of these surahs, and that will be the mahr. And the Prophet ﷺ agreed, because he was the guardian in a way, because he was performing the nikah. He was the guardian, the woman. It seems that she accepted. So the nikah was performed based on that mahr. And this is reported in Sahih Bukhari. So from this we learn that marriage is something that is so important. Right? That just because a person cannot afford a super valuable, expensive mahr, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a chance of getting married. He still can get married with whatever means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. Why? Because marriage is a means of protecting yourself. Isn't it so? It is something that helps a person keep chaste. Now this doesn't mean that a person doesn't bother to strive, to earn money, to provide for the family. He has to. He is obligated with that responsibility. But if a person is trying to get a job, to get a degree, but he's not able to, doesn't mean he never gets married? No, he will. And if he finds someone who is willing to live in that condition with him, go ahead. But he still has to give something. He still has to give something. So we see that giving something tangible is the better option, the best option, the obligation. Where that is not possible, then giving something intangible is necessary. But something has to be given to the woman. Something has to be given. Alright? We also learn over here that whenever a person gives a gift to someone, how should they give it? Happily. Okay? And when a person is receiving something from someone, then how should he take it? Happily. Hani'am maria. Take it happily and later on don't feel guilty. That, oh my God, when I got married, this person gave me $100. So now I have to be really nice to them and I have to make sure that when their son gets married, I give them $100 to... No. Maria. Be guilt-free. They gave you a gift, enjoy it. Yes. The mahar can be given after even, but it has to be agreed upon at the time of marriage. The wedding ring? Why not? But remember that there's no wedding ring that has to be there, I mean, Islamically. But if the husband is buying a really nice ring that costs a lot of money, and he says that this is all that I can give you, but I love it, and I want to see it on you, she's okay with it, that's fine. Okay? That if the man has to give the mahar to the wife, like for example, they get married, and it's agreed upon that he will give her a certain amount of money by the end of the year. Because he says, I just graduated from school. I've started working and I'm going to save every month this much money and by the end of the year, inshallah, I will have it and this money is going to be for you. This is the mahal. She agrees, her father agrees, everything, got married. Now, this mahal that he has to give, this money that he has to give, it's an amana on him. He has to give it. And if he dies before that, then you know what? Before his property, his estate is divided, from that, the mahar will be taken first and given to the wife, and then the rest of it will be distributed amongst the ears. It's that serious. Let's listen to the recitation of these verses from the beginning.
1: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. تَقו رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُم مِّن نَّفْسٍ وَاحِدَةٍ وَخَلَقَ مِنها زَوْجَهَا وَخَلَقَ مِنها ذُرِّيَّةً كَثِيرَةً وَلَمَّا قَضَىٰ أَمْرَهُمْ جَعَلَ واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا واتوا اليتامى اموالهم ولا تتبدلوا الخبيث بالطيب وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَى أَمْوَالِكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ حُوبًا كَبِيرًا وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا تُقْسِطُوا فِي اليتامى فَانْكِحُوا مَا طَابَ لَكُمْ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ for ما طاب لكم من النساء ask وثلاث ورباع فإن خفتم ألا تعدلوا فواحدة أو ما ملكت أيمانكم ذلك أدنى ألا تعولوا. وَآتُوا النِّسَاءَ صَدُقَاتِهِنَّ نِحْلَةٍ فَإِنْ طِبْنَ لَكُمْ عَنْ شَيْءٍ مِّنْهُ نَفْسًا فَكُلُوهُ هَنِيْئًا مَّرِيْئًا